Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Into the Bytecode. Today I sat down with David, Matt, and Vignesh, the co-founders of Sound XYZ. Sound is a platform that helps musicians host listening parties and engage with their fans. It's a suite of tools that will grow over time to help musicians make a living using NFTs and other crypto-native primitives. In this conversation, we talked about the backstory of how they connected as a team, their macro point of view on the music industry, architectural decisions they've made that will inform how sound will evolve as a product and a protocol. And towards the end, they each shared memorable stories about the drops on the platform so far. I was particularly looking forward to this conversation as David, Madam Vignesh uh, participated in Zeitgeist over the last few months and we got to work pretty closely together. They're an incredibly thoughtful team and they're moving fast and I think they're working towards a beautiful vision of the world. And so with that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Maybe a simple place to start would be just what is sound before we get into more interesting territory. Well, let me uh, let me let me take that one. Uh, yeah, sound is a suite of Web three tools that help artists monetize and experiment with their music in new ways. The first tool that we built is uh, the ability to release a song in a fun and exciting way, which we called listening parties, and we released this this tool that lets artists upload their song, mint a scarce set of limited edition NFTs associated with, with that song and creates a countdown where everybody can listen to the song when the countdown ends. And if the uh, listener uh, chooses to, they're able to support that artist by purchasing one of their NFTs. And the first perk of owning that NFT is that you can leave a comment on the song as like a public sign of kind of your kind of collection. And we took a lot of inspiration from uh, kind of the SoundCloud days where there was a, the same kind, type of comment feature, but just made it scarce and tied to the owning of the NFT. Yeah, it, it's cool seeing that form factor come back because it was pretty unique even back in the day. There's not been too many social features in music for a while. Very isolated listening experience today. Like if you're on any of the traditional uh, streaming platforms, it's basically like your kind of library uh, and there's something cool about supporting and seeing what other people are listening to and kind of bringing some of those shared communal uh, listening experiences, which I think are probably the pinnacle of that is like a concert um, where you go to right. a concert amongst other people. Concerts would not be very fun if it was just like one person listening to an artist. And I think that some of that kind of communal aspect is missing from the listening experience today in music. Yeah, it's kind of how we listen to music on our computers. We're totally alone. It, it, exactly. Like there's, there's really like I can count the the social features that exist across all the majors, major streaming uh, platforms today. So I'm looking to just bring it, make it a little bit more fun to listen to music, support an artist, and just give people a way to kind of back their favorite artists specifically through their music. Yeah. Well, maybe on that theme, I think one of, yeah, this idea of the comment wall. And one thing I particularly like is that you can see like the artist has written, usually writes a piece about the track that they've produced. And that's also kind of unique to read the story of how this came together. I'm curious, what sorts of like interactions are you seeing between artists and their fans or people who are listening to the tracks? 
Yeah, yeah. So I think an underrated factor of kind of like what we're doing at Sound is uh, like we're giving artists the tools to be able to like identify and communicate with their listeners and collectors on an individual basis. So today, like no artist owns their the relationship with their fans, right? They know they have fans in New York or they have fans in uh, Europe, but they don't actually know their names. And not that they know their names here, but like by everybody being tied by their single ETH address, sometimes they know the names, right? They know who their individual collectors are. Uh, and so we're starting to see like a, a mix of like IRL and on-chain kind of experiences. I think one is like, we've seen people obviously just create Telegram group chats, Discord private channels where they're actually chatting with their collectors mm -hmm. and soliciting feedback. We've uh, Pat Locke was kind of the first to do the Telegram group chat, who was one of our one of our Genesis artists. Um, we've seen others like reward their collectors for like giving it as a, essentially a mint pass to other kind of NFT drops that they've, that they've been doing. We've seen some create like custom merch for their holders, um, which has been really, really cool to see. And there's been like a slew, honestly, of like just different types of like engagement amongst their collectors that are completely outside the scope of like, even what they promised with their initial drop. And I think the reason why is like, at any point they can wake up and say, Hey, I want to do this. or I want to engage those types of uh, interactions are really, really powerful. And I think like really well-known artists like Pussy Riot have done like phenomenal, phenomenal jobs at like mm. post the mint and building community amongst the songs, which is really, yeah. Cool. Well, cause I, I guess in some ways it makes like the audience legible, right? Like you can actually see who's on the other side of it. it makes me almost think of crypto projects and their discords, right? Where when it's like an open free-for-all, there's like thousands of anonymous people in there and you don't know who's who, how much they care, like how much they actually know about what you're doing. But then as soon as like someone's shown this level of intent by buying one of these NFTs, there, there's a certain level of like shared context there. Yeah, I, th I think like recommendations in music have always been like a thing and we're not at the scale where we're dealing with that yet, but I'm really like looking forward to it from a perspective of like today recommendations are, are relatively passive in the sense of like, oh, because you know, listen to this song or Matt listened to the song, like you might, they might recommend Vignesh that song as, uh, as well. And, but because you listen to a song doesn't necessarily mean you're a fan of that artist, right? Maybe there's some more explicit actions, like you added that artist to a playlist or saved it to your library. That probably means you like them a little bit more. But I think like collecting the music or supporting them, but they're buying the NFT associated with that song is like the most direct form of, wow, this person must really like this song or really like this artist. And the recommendations there of like people who supported this artist, supported that artist, I think are going to be extremely powerful. Super high uh, signal. Super high signal. In, yeah. in addition, you can still do the listening recommendations too, but I think mixing that with something as high signal as like collecting their NFT is going to be really, really interesting, uh, interesting stuff. Really interesting. So yeah, maybe bringing in Matt and Vignesh. So Matt, I mean, the, the impetus for me reaching out to do this was reading your blog post from about a year ago, I think, where you had talked about your journey of going from musician to working in crypto. And I think at that point, you were working with the Optimism team, which we, we were also just talking about such a like dope, special group of people. But now you've come like full circle and you're working on like crypto and music yeah, so I went to school for music and sort of like managed to work my way into the industry almost despite my education because I, you know, I went to a four year school and got like the traditional music education with some like recording tech classes. 
eventually releasing my own music and just sending it out to music blogs. This was back way before Spotify, before Facebook pages. So like I, you know, had my MySpace page. That's how most musicians oh, wow. were getting their music out there. And it was like a really good time for musicians. Like it was, it was kind of at a low point for the industry as a whole because MP3s had like decimated revenue. And I think iTunes was, this was like 2007, 2008. So it was even before iTunes. And so like, there was like this long tail of musicians that were starting to get traction through MySpace and through music blogs. And then eventually this website came around called Hype Machine that was really good for my career and, and a lot of others, um, including RAC, who we just did a drop for. And when I'm looking back on that time period, it feels really similar to what's happening now. It's, it's almost like, like Web3 is kind of like reinvigorating this sort of like decentralized music discovery thing that's more like human-centered than algorithm-centered, which really excites me. But yeah, so I, I had some success. I toured globally. I had a couple songs that I produced, make it to the Billboard charts. But I kind of like struggled creatively because I, I didn't... I didn't necessarily like want to be a pop music producer, even though I like fell into that success early on. So I tried, I tried to like kind of create my own sound and, but I had like a lot of varied interests and tech was one of them. And by the time 2017 rolled around, I had gotten really into Ethereum in particular. I had already like invested in Bitcoin, thought it was interesting, but it wasn't until I learned like what a Turing complete blockchain was that the light bulb really clicked. So I, yeah, I obviously got interested in projects like Ujo and I mm. uh, was following various other things. I was curious about what Spotify was doing because they, I think earlier that year had, or maybe the year before bought Media Chain, which right. started by Jesse Walden, who's now one of our investors. So, so yeah, like my career had, had kind of like plateaued and crypto was taking off and it basically like gave me a financial security blanket to make career change. So by the end of that year, I decided I'm just going to try to learn how to code and see where it takes me. Maybe I can work my way into crypto at some point, even though at that point I thought it was like way beyond my reach. So I got some experience working for design agencies, mainly doing front end development for a few years by the time. So you were, you were kind of like burnt out on being a musician and like that grind of like trying to, rank on these algorithm algorithmic feeds and whatnot. I can't blame it all on on that, but it was a big part of it in retrospect, like the the competition for attention that all creators online have to do now. And where you're like, you're not only competing against other musicians, you're competing against like just like all the random nonsense that people are are um, seeing every day when they go to Facebook and other places. And I was getting really concerned that like this was becoming like a big problem for society, which is pretty obvious to most people now. And that was another reason I was getting really interested in crypto because I thought that its main value proposition was as a uh, coordination mechanism. And anything mm -hmm. that improves human coordination, I think is, is like kind of like the most powerful thing, like even better than AI. So- Very high leverage. Right. So yeah, it was just like figuring like, I'm, I want to learn how to code because I think it could not only like help me, you know, like my personal finances and career path, but also 
maybe give me like a better sense of like feeling like I'm having like a real positive impact on the world eventually. And that's why I got really interested in optimism because I knew that they kind of had similar values and interests and, and were working on like the big scaling challenges in, in crypto. By the end of 2020, I jumped into their discord, asked if they needed any front end help, did a, like a short contract that eventually turned into a full-time job and ended up making their front end interface for their bridge between optimism and mainnet. But only like a month after mm -hmm. I started there, David reached out on Discord because we're also, we're both part of Friends with Benefits. It's like, I'm sure listeners have heard of it. It's like a crypto um, social token. One of David's thing. core skill sets is really these Discord DMs. It's like the fifth time I've heard of this happening now. It's unfortunately where, where the whole story starts is uh, Friends with Benefits was one of the communities that I joined in the beginning because I just thought it was a really interesting concept and I, thought, I think even could have been can and will be applied for things like music communities as well and i was just curious and what i do best is like click links and i joined them and i was like who's behind this and it turned out to be kind of matt was part of the kind of core team uh, to begin with and trevor mcfedries who started little broad and little michaela and also comes from the music world and dexter who otherwise or dexter tortorella who also is part of an artist project called houses and don golden so i was like wow there's like a lot of music presence in here this is interesting and then i just started like hanging out and messaging everybody and Matt was actually the first person to answer. Matt was like, you should talk to Dexter and then kind of just like stayed in touch with everybody over the last couple of months and had kind of run everybody through because sound came out of like a multitude of iterations and, and, and kind of the core problems were always the same that we wanted to solve, which is how do we reshape what music is worth and kind of help artists make more of a full-time living off their music alone. And then two, how do we help artists get their voice heard and their music heard by as many people as possible, but no matter what we were going to work on, that was, that was, that was always going to be at the core of it and kind of just kept bouncing and bouncing. And um, as we got closer to kind of like really narrowing down on the vision for sound, I was kind of pestering Matt to be like, uh, maybe we should, or maybe you should leave and kind of join this. And, and then Vignesh and I had worked at a prior startup together and kind of, that's kind of how the whole thing kind of got put together. Not that, not too long ago, honestly, and kind of mid, mid July, early August. And then we went just heads down building for three-ish months and kind of came out with kind of the v, V1 of sound. And I think we launched, if I remember correctly, December 6th with Oshi, who was the first artist that, uh, and another person that I had met in discords of all, of all places. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the whole story is really like, it's, I would say very, like, very like web three native. It's all happened on discord. Yeah. Discord and Twitter DMS is literally the answer to all, all and a couple of telegrams here and there, but in terms of people asked, me like how do we like find the artists that we chose for like the initial cohort which we called our preseason and genesis artists and it was all just friends of people that had like given us feedback over the you know upcoming or the prior months um because sound was not built in isolation it was built with so many kind people giving us feedback and even somebody that matt had mentioned earlier anthony or hype machine uh, was created by anthony belogkin and anthony somebody that i had cold twitter dm four years ago um <laughs> kind of had been uh, in touch with ever since because again just like matt like hype machine was one of the coolest music discovery product like it's not it's it's not that hard to track down the the products and, and people behind them that have kind of inspired us mm -hmm. 
Anthony is somebody that I've, I'm really lucky to call a friend and has been really, really kind giving us feedback and just such an, I'm always, you know, making him as uncomfortable as possible, telling him about how many people he's kind of inspired from like just listeners and artists. So yeah, it's been really, really cool to just get so many. I mean, there's, I, I can't even put into perspective how many people I'd have to thank for, for why sound even exists in the first place, but friends with benefits is definitely very high on the list uh and then i also got to give a, a little bit of a shout out to party party dow which is actually how i met cena and uh just a lot of really good friends like john like steve klebanoff and john palmer and danny all of which have steve and john are both angels in sound and just that's kind of like where we met a lot of our investors and just from hanging out in the discord nothing really came out of that. yeah yeah it's just a small world out there so um, yeah really, really lucky for and the best part was that it was it's all, really cool how it's all come together yeah, it was all open. And I mean, literally, it's a crazy to me that it's all very free, fluid. So. Yeah. So Vignesh, maybe bringing you in, what kind of attracted you to working on this problem? Because I know, like, through our interactions, I know you're you kind of probably had a kind of systemic systematic point of view on like, why this is a compelling thing to work on. Like, what did you see here that pulled you in? NFTs broadly are just something everyone's kind of figuring out. I think I've been following the crypto space for a few years, first with Bitcoin. And like the idea there was just how do we make a non-government internet native money, some store of value that we can all trust without trusting each other. And I think that idea is like, it grows in power as like the distrust in like government or fiat currencies grow. And I think that's kind of like one theme that's just moving crypto along. And then kind of Ethereum came along and we saw this is like the next evolution of fintech and being able to build all these composable applications without having um, to rely on people and gate kept code and data. And for me, this was like kind of the evolution of open source plus financial fluidity. And then when NFTs came is where I had to just feel like I had to drop everything I was doing and figure out some way to get involved because now it was how do you represent just value for anything and create communities in an internet native liquid way. And I guess the theme of COVID was, it just played so beautifully with this because there are a lot of artists, especially if you think of musicians that relied on going to tour, selling merch, doing things very physically in order to sustain themselves and make a living. And they were totally shafted during that um, during the especially the early stages of the pandemic and then on the other hand you see like the money printing excess inflation world happening so there's just this idea of like how do you better allocate money to the things that people value and art is something people always value and you could say that's the only final thing that like i guess makes us human so I think mm-hmm. NFTs is just like a right in a world where like every like automation and you know AI and whatnot continues to move forward, art is one of the things that remains. Exactly. And I think that's where like a lot of people who have a hard time understanding NFTs, they really think about art as just like a very physical thing, as like you know, a painting or a sculpture. But what makes art valuable is the story and the culture behind it. And just like any other market, the community that values it. So for something like music, we've always valued it as maybe, you know, the price of buying a CD or like the the price of like an iTunes song. 
and then later on add sales x listener count on like a streaming service but really it's just the feeling and emotion it evokes in someone plus the market around like a particular community artist musician so i think that's where that that's what really drew me to sound and when david and matt and i kind of got together we were thinking how can we solve two goals one is just create tools that put the artist in control that let them have their music heard and also engage fans and make music patronage more fun so with those two it seemed like nfts were the perfect medium for it yeah that makes sense music has always felt undervalued compared to its like cultural and emotional significance and i one of my questions like anyone feel free to take this is like the you wrote this blog post early on i think it was the one where you kind of announced sound where you talked about the problem being how the business model is structured the business model of streaming of each listen being worth the exact same dollar amount i think you was you said it was like 0.003 dollars and that this is this is like the core of the problem and the downstream effects that it causes and i'm i'm curious like from an economic point of view how do you see sound what impacts do you think sound can have over time and like what what is the shape of the economic landscape like who are the other players here how will they react to what's going on here it's kind of a big question but i'm curious how you would unpack it yeah so i i think getting into it like what drew me into web3 was the incentive structuring right and i think the fact that everything is on chain in public it creates a system of fair play um because everything is kind of you know transparent and in music a lot of things aren't transparent today in the digital industry and i think to get into the question uh directly the the core problems with kind of the streaming services today is not necessarily that they're out to get artists or, or whatnot. It's more around the lack of incentives and the way that the economic of streaming has been set up. So again, in terms of how streaming works today, there's a fixed price 0.0034 roughly cents per stream, depending on what service you're on. And that number was determined by the streaming services themselves and typically in partnership with the three major labels, right? It wasn't determined by artists and their listeners. So the idea that there's one price for streaming and that implies that everybody values music the same is fundamentally bizarre to me. And because of that number, um, so you basically uh, need millions and millions and millions and millions of streams to make any real amount of money in the current world. The problem is that there's only billions of people on earth, right? So to ask every artist to get millions and millions and millions of streams is a very, very high bar, right? And on top of that, the quantity of, of people that are needed to support that artist is super, super high. Um, and this has basically resulted in like the, the head of the content doing really well, right? So like the biggest artists in the world are, are, are making a decent amount of money. And that's evidenced by the fact that according to Spotify, there's 7,800 artists that make $100,000 or more per year out of the 8 million artists on the platform. It doesn't matter really what number you use, like the number for $50,000 or more per year, which I think is a bit low for saying you can live off that is 13,400. But we're talking about a very small percentage that can actually make a living off their music. And so what Sound aimed to do is kind of flip that on its head. Like what if you could make a living off, you know, only 
25, 50, 100, 1,000, it doesn't matter what that number is, as long as it's in that range, right? That's much more achievable if you're thinking about how to become an artist, right? And, and building a community amongst your music. Um, and then from a listener side of things, it's like, well, how can I support artists that I really, really care about? While obviously I think this is something that always gets glanced over, right? The listening in kind of the Web3 music space is free, right? Anybody can listen to the art and enjoy it. Um, and so the support is completely optional. There's never an obligation or, or from anybody's end to support that artist. Um, and so that kind of just simplicity of anybody can listen, but the but the supporting is scarce or or optional has created this kind of ability for artists to basically be able to you know live off their art in, in a very small sample size because we only have been around just under two months, right? Uh, we've done close to $700,000 in, in, in streaming paid out to artists, which is like over 200 million streams, right? Paid out instantly. It's really, really promising in terms of like, if we can turn being an artist into the same level of profession as being a doctor or being a lawyer, right? And make it much more sustainable for just millions of artists to basically be able to make a full-time living off their music alone then that's kind of the purpose and, and kind of the mission of sound. In terms of how the other participants kind of uh, react to this, right? I don't think it's like, I think in, to the, in the traditional world, it's very adversarial here. It's like, if you're not streaming that this person instead of that person, right? You're basically hurt, taking or not like supporting them. Um, but in the Web3 world, I think part of what drew all of us here is kind of the interoperability, right? So it's like, it's like artists are free to experiment with their music in any way, shape or form. And that might be other Web3 platforms or it might be in the traditional sense as well. And I think an example of this is like, there's a very no, real world where Spotify continues to exist as kind of the mainstream listening platform or, or the ability to reach the most amount of people from a like eyeballs perspective, kind of like radio has been for the last, you know, 30 years. And that's where they go to, you know, reach the most amount of people. But the point of monetization is much stronger in the Web3 sense for all the reasons that I just talked about, right? So I think ultimately the best solution will kind of win out. And I think to be honest, the optimal solution might be trying out many different things. Uh, I think it's been really cool. And I think artists have have done a great job already of this, at just experimenting with different different platforms and different products that are out there. And I think that's kind of the the gist of it. And that's actually like a lot of the artists that we chose for our Genesis kind of cohort were artists that we saw were like experimenting with everything. Um, and that's kind of what mm -hmm. inspired us to kind of build sound in the first place. So all kind of comes, comes full circle on, on that front. So hopefully. Yeah. So you're like the, the kind of like basics of it are you're moving away from this artificial, like every stream is like every, every fan is contributing the same amount and can't diverge from that you're moving to a model of like the actual content is free, but like leaving, giving people the freedom to kind of go and support an artist to the extent that they want. Right. And it's actually quite simple when you put it that way, it almost, it almost like I, it almost makes me think of like, why, why hasn't this happened before? Right. Because it, it doesn't, this piece of it doesn't feel like it depends on crypto, even though you get the interoperability and composability stuff. Yeah, I feel like music NFTs are one of the like simplest and like most obvious use cases for NFTs today. I mean, if you want to go give, um, you know, support an artist through their music today, it's really hard to do it. Like it's only, unless you have their like Venmo balance or their cash app, like right. it's not exactly clear on how to support an artist through their, through their, through their music. And then on a listener side, 
there's no um, like something that's always uh, bothered me is like the first fan of an artist is treated the same as like the one million fan. But those are inherently two different people. One has been there since the beginning supporting that artist when nobody cared. And the other is still really valuable because, you know, fans come in at different stages and everything. But it does feel reasonable to, to like at least highlight the one who has kind of been there from the beginning because that person has kind of and, and the same applies not just in music. Artists don't always have the, you know, the data and the information on the concert level, too, of like who showed up to their concerts uh, in the beginning when nobody cared. And, and now is kind of now is like, a you know, a more a more named attraction. And I think that's just something that you get for free kind of with the Web3 space is you totally. get basically proof of timestamp support, um, which is like, how long have they been supporting this artist or holding this NFT? Did they buy it off the secondary? How, how, like, how, how long have they held it? Um, there's just all the information that you get for free because, again, everything is, uh, you know, public. Um, and that's kind of just the beauty of, of and the simplicity of kind of the system. And the final thing is just making it because everybody has, you know, we're built on layer layer one ETH. And just the simplicity of like anybody around the world, as long as you have an Ethereum address, can participate. Right. That's huge. A very undervalued, like like aspect or underappreciated aspect, in my opinion, instead of like building, you know, login and payment systems for like every single part of the country, anybody can kind of support. Yeah. You get like global access and you get liquidity importantly, like for free, which both increase the size of the demand meaningfully. The other, the other part more than just like, I think what you mentioned was like, you can build this. Yeah. The payment aspect of crypto makes things simpler. But I think what draws people to NFTs is, is just fun, to be honest, right? And you can right. build really cool things that didn't exist or like spark the same curiosity um, beforehand. So one of those examples is like, let's say you had Patreon, right? You can, you can support an artist, you can channel subscription and payments. But the idea that now you have this like on-chain record of who holds it, you can have like a collection page where you show all of the music, uh, music NFTs you've collected and kind of bringing that like collector fun out that hasn't really existed is pretty powerful. And I think also a lot of people tie the ownership of something to their own identity. So you can see kind of from someone's ENS, you can see all the things they've bought. The whole profile pick game has been going pretty nutty. So there's this whole aspect of also just sharing your support with other people that I think has just made more fun with NFTs. Yeah. And then just the fact that it plugs into all of the other crypto ecosystems. So you can just move it fluidly, not be locked in is really powerful. Cause I think, you know, like all the centralized services, they provide such a, like they provide great service. Like I use Google all the time. Right. But yeah. then if you get canceled from Google, you're done. Mm -hmm. The way our artist services are set are like our artist tools are set up is the artist mints their own contract. They sell the NFTs directly to fans other than like some metadata stuff that we're going to change. If sound ceased to exist, these things should still exist. And the artist yeah. should be the final like uh, decider of their relationship with fans. So I think that's the other really powerful thing that speaks to both artists and fans, because with systems outside of crypto, they're beholden to whoever they're using. I'm sure Matt yeah. has like a lot of thoughts on stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, this, this last point is, is like very, it's one of the kind of architectural decisions that you've made that I really admire because, you know, in building something like sound, you have to think about like UX and making it accessible to like a larger group of people and 
there are a lot of these considerations and, you know, it, you know, some other team facing the same questions may have decided to go a different path and compromise on the core, you know, like who's in control of the data, but like making a architectural decision like this, like each artist having their own smart contract has very kind of profound the downstream effects, right? And like what direction things evolve in. Yeah, I mean, maybe Matt, like how, how did you guys think about the design of the system and where, where do you see it going from here? We, we kind of struggled with that a little bit because it was certainly a technical challenge to give each artist their own contract and it introduces the need to make them, I mean, I guess they're kind of independent things, but we decided to make the contracts upgradable and that's hard to do when you're you know, doing these proxy contracts, but we figured it out and we think we landed on the right trade-offs. That's kind of a big selling point. Like when artists are comparing different platforms, knowing that they will have their own collection on OpenSea and, and other marketplaces is really attractive. Yeah. And, and in general, I think our approach is whatever we can do to reduce platform risk and to not create it ourselves, the better. So that's kind of, yeah. I, I, I think the main, the main point is like, it, to, to me at least, this was like a non-starter uh, from the perspective of like, we wanted to obviously like undo and like rethink and experiment with like how it currently works today. So today artists do not own the relationship with their fans. The opposite of that is artists can own the relationship with their fans. How do you do that? Well, artists have to have uh, artists have to have their own contract. And from there, right, you can start to build kind of different experiences, right? And at the end of the day, sound uh, is a suite of tools, as I started off the, kind of this interview by saying. Uh, and so the tool is only as good as the, as the artist kind of using that tool and wielding it. And it's whoever wants to build, like the artist could take their kind of contract and people could build different front ends on top of that. And the artist could plug in their artist contract on top, right? And mint different experiences on we, using their, using some of the kind of groundwork that, that we've kind of laid down. And so sound, the like sound.xyz is just like the first app built on top of the sound protocol, which I think is something that is like completely different to how, or hasn't been explored to how music you know services work today where everything is kind of a you know an iron uh, like a firewall between kind of the like consumer app and kind of the you know back-end services that are you know owned and operated by the same company so i think that's part of like what we have the uh, ability and the luxury and the privilege of like being able to explore in the future um, which i think will be really cool so maybe on the more personal side so one of the cool things for me has been just kind of jamming with you all closely also through Zeitgeist like last year. And I'm, I'm curious just what the experience of building sound to this point point has been like, like, is there anything that surprised you about how it's all evolved over this short span of time? Uh, mm. You get used or you try to get used to just the unexpected turns that come every single day. I mean, there's so many different layers of like stakeholders in sound, whether it's artists, it's investors, it's, it's listeners, it's collectors is definitely obviously a challenge in terms of making sure and that all voices are heard. I think the things that uh, we've really learned and enjoyed is like doing building in public is something that I highly recommend and encourage. I think that's definitely like how we got a lot of amazingly um, just uh, really, really helpful and insightful feedback. 
I think not being afraid to ask for help. I mean, even in Zeitgeist, uh, just having access to some of the same people um, that are going on around some of the same problems that we are has been super helpful for just forming. In, and now we're, you know, we're close to unveiling like a partnership or, or, or collaboration with one of the companies in, in, in Zeitgeist, which is going to be really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and then lastly, like, I think just get to market, right? Uh, I think getting to market and just like, it's a completely like, uh, you know, we have our opinions and our hypothesis, but like once you get to market and the product's live, that's ultimately all that matters. Um, and then you start to kind of, kind of get users, user feedback and see what people care about. That has kind of been the best part. And I'd say the final thing is just the feedback from artists and seeing how happy it kind of makes them to hear their voice like heard and valued. And when we host these Twitter spaces, we do like Twitter spaces for every single song release at the moment, which I'm not sure is the most scalable thing, but uh, <laughs> it's been really, really fun so far. But I think just the, 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 the delight on artists, like talking to them is just like what makes it like that's why we've done it every single day doing a drop for the last you know 60 days or whatever it's been so it's really 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 exciting but uh definitely definitely uh, no two days are the same the most exciting thing for me is like the like the blue sky nature of of everything that we're doing that's true for all of crypto but yeah to do it in music because like that's been like one of my biggest passions in life is very exciting and also I just I'll just mention like if anyone is listening who who is thinking about getting into web three, I would strongly recommend it. It's working out great for me. And it's <laughs> very what's very cool is like you very quickly like realize how close you are to like the frontier of this technology. And I I still feel like a complete noob, but on a weekly basis, like we it feels like we're grappling with some challenge that feels pretty new um like for example the beacon proxy thing like we, we went back and forth on that and like we realized that there are some challenges of verifying the, the contracts on ether scan and and all that stuff is can be difficult but it's like super fun when you figure it out yeah and i guess one of the other challenges which i guess being in crypto is you see the ampli- amplification of both the good actors and the bad actors hmm. especially when there's some financial thing on the line so an example of kind of the good actors is as we're building this, we get to rely on all the giants that have built before us, both like incorporate open source code and like figure out new ways to do stuff. And then in that process, also share like what we've built. And we were like a blog post on how we've made the trade-offs for our protocol. That and plus kind of like the the data aspect is like fully open. And then on the bad side, it's like we've, we kind of, initially thought, okay, we'll put these music NFTs for sale and artists can mint them, sell them and fans will buy them. And very soon you have kind of people who are botting or just like mm-hmm. buying it too quickly. And then there's kind of the difference in sophistication of the different types of buyers. Like some people use flash bots and some people look at the mempool and gas snipe stuff. So then we have to go and kind of relearn okay let's add a whitelist system but how do you do that in an artist friendly and a way that still keeps the ideals of like decentralization so then we incorporated a way where an artist can opt into different types of systems on the contract level they can pass in their own like address for the whitelisting but then if they're using Mm -hmm. our ui we have like a really simple way for them to set it up so i think those kinds of trade-offs of like learning and then thinking of like, how do you build something with your ideals in mind has been definitely challenging. So interesting. 
there's so many different rabbit holes to to go down. So maybe maybe to close, since I know we have limited time, and I really appreciate all three of you joining when it's a very busy time. I thought a fun uh, question to end on would be just each of you sharing one of the drops or the listening parties that's been particularly fun or meaningful for you and why maybe like a bit of a story around uh how, how it felt uh i think the I'll, I'll never forget like the first one with oshi it was like the first drop that we did and we had no idea like i had no idea what to expect we do this twitter spaces which became like a regular format but at the time like who knows and i remember just seeing like i'm on we do the twitter space people try and buy the site just like completely turns off like it's just like <laughs> not, not even like on i'm like and i'm like on FaceTime with Oshi being like, what is happening? Like trying to call Vignesh, what is happening? Vignesh is trying to keep the site up. Somehow I'm like checking Etherscan, like things went through, like the whole site had crashed. Nothing had really like, like somehow like there was like a moment where like the buying happened. Um, and just like, I, I forget like the actual number of requests per second we were getting, but something, some large amount. And it was just like, I was just like, whoa, what just happened? Because I mean, even to the state with sound, like we've never spent a penny on marketing. We don't have any real, like the marketing channels are our Twitter, our Discord. Um, that's pretty much it. And so it was like fully organic even today. And uh, and especially that first launch, because we just put out a tweet. And so just like the, sh I was like, I mean, you try to prepare yourself for it, but I was just like shocked, like still am shocked. And that was like, I just remember like, the what just happened i mean we did 25 nfts of 0.1 ETH, so it's just 2.5 ETH. but it was just the, the the amount of people that tried to buy and the the like just just like surprise of like people actually caring about what you had worked on for the last couple of months i think will always stand out as um as just like like an like one of my favorite uh memories are just mm -hmm. on building sound so that one for me i, I think can't forget the first the Daniel Allen EP was really memorable for me because that was the first time we were doing like before we just did 25 and that was the first time we were doing a hundred and it was just like a huge traffic spike day. And there's just a lot of hype because he's been working on this EP in public in web three for a while. That's kind of uh, really memorable to me because I was like, okay, we had him do this, the solo song. And now he's kind of releasing more stuff. And then that's also when we we're thinking about the next season and how he'd kind of bring on other people. So that was one that I remember. Mm. I'll give two actually. So one is sort of like a shout out to my friend RAC. Like we've been both in the music industry, like roughly around the same time we started 2007, 2008. Um, we were both like remix artists. It's kind of like the main thing that we were known for. Um, and he he got super into crypto and like like was exploring like how it can help his music career and 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 just like how it can help musicians more broadly starting way back in 2017 he did something with ujo and a lot of things since then he did his first drop like nf music nft drop um on sound a few days ago so that was super cool but then also i want to mention like i think like the thing that was most special for me is we did when when we deployed on mainnet we were like all right we need to like test this and so i had like some unfinished music oh yeah and you, the first track yeah and like we didn't you know it wasn't like a public thing it was just like a test thing but it made it feel real and that was like a super kind of like emotional moment for me like oh okay here we go let's do this yeah i i was looking through some of the drops and seeing that the first one was one of your tracks also 
gave me the feels. So that was cool. Yeah. yeah and, and, and it's like unfinished, but it's almost, it's almost appropriate that it's unfinished for me. It's like, oh yeah, like this is a work in progress. Yeah. yeah the one of three gigamesh that I'm going to hold forever. <laughs> it's the only, it's, uh, it's not for sale anytime soon. <laughs> I have received a few offers. I mean, a few like collectors that have pinged me saying like, can I buy that from you? And I said, absolutely not. It's good to hear. <laughs> Friendship not up for sale. Uh, all right, sweet. Well, it's really fun jamming with you as always. Thanks for taking the time. Let's call it here. Thank you. Um, I, I, I just want to say, like, we definitely, as I said earlier, wouldn't be here without kind of your support and Zeitgeist. And I think that like, not just like the friend, the friendships and the relationships that we had made are like still super valuable. So I, I think from what, uh, what started as uh, the usual random discord DM is like just so, so lucky. And I also would recommend and chat to anybody who can be a part of future Zeitgeist kind of cohorts and programs. I would definitely recommend it because we are using kind of the knowledge and the relationships daily uh, in Milton Sound. So thank you. Yep. Big plus one. Thank you, Sina. Thank you, Sina. Zeitgeist was a pleasure. All right. Until next time. <laughs>